Today's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hi, New Hope. Uh, my name is Alex. For those of you whom I have not met, I'm one of the lay elders here. And today I have the, uh, the big privilege to preach God's word to you today. So if you could bow your heads as I ask God for help, because um, we need it, I need it. Father, we, uh, we thank you, we praise you, and uh, we honor you today with this service. Uh, we thank you for the Gospel of Mark. We thank you for all the truth that is there. Uh, would you use uh, today, uh, despite my inadequacies and my failures and my fallings, uh, we know that you are adequate, you are perfect, uh, and you are powerful. Uh, we pray that uh, you use uh, this preaching of your word so that people understand what it means to be an, a disciple and see how wonderful and majestic and how incomparable you are, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So New Hope, uh, take a few moments and ask yourself uh, two very basic questions. Very simple questions. Imagine if you were at school or at work or in your neighborhood, and somebody asks you, are you a Christian? Very simple question. Now take a moment and think about that same person asking you, are you a disciple of Jesus? A slightly different question, but is your answer the same or slightly different? Well, this morning we're going to take some, some time and, and look at what it means to be a disciple of Christ and to give clarity to help answer these two questions. So let's dive right into the passage that Sarah just read to us. Uh, let's look at what the Gospel Mark is showing us here. So the narrative in today's text uh, can be summarized into three elements. The first element is that there's a call the second element is there's an appointment. And the third element is that there's a list. So the first element, Jesus calls to him those whom he desires. The second, he appoints them apostles. And thirdly, there will be a list of the names of the apostles. So let's take a brief look at a parallel passage that comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. They give us some helpful additional information. Luke chapter 6. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, 
continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. New Hope, do you see how Jesus spent a whole night in prayer? Do you see how he emphasized the importance of prayer, especially here before making a very big decision, such as choosing the apostles? Now, I don't know about you, but when I have to make a big decision, I pray maybe two or three times for a couple minutes here or there, and then I make a big decision. Sometimes it's a monumental decision. I don't think I've ever pulled an all-nighter and then made a decision. I believe our Lord here is giving us a great model on the importance and role of prayer. That is extended, deep prayer first, and then action. So let's turn back to, to today's passage in the Gospel of Mark. And look at the first verse of which includes the call. And he went up the mountain and he prayed all night, if you include the additional information from Luke, and called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. So the first significant observation here is that Jesus calls whom he desires and it's not the other way around. It's not as if the disciples volunteered or put their name in for consideration for a new position. But rather, it's Jesus who handpicks them and calls them to him. And then Jesus called to him those whom he desired. As many of you know, the New Testament was first written down in an old version of Greek. And in the original language, uh, this was somewhat stated more emphatically, where there was a sense that he summoned those whom he willed. Jesus determines the call. The disciples did not decide to follow Jesus, doing him a favor, and in so doing, kind of volunteering themselves, but rather, Jesus' call precedes their desires and actions. This truth can succinctly be summarized in this very familiar verse. It comes from 1 John. We love because He loved us first, or he first loved us. So God's love always takes the initiative, always is a starting point, and the love of Christians is a response to that love. It always starts with God, not with us. This may seem like a small, well-known truth. However, I don't know about you, but this is something I struggle with almost every day. I'm constantly trying to do, 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 rather than focusing on what he has done. Trying to earn God's approval. Trying to accomplish more for him. Trying to prove to God and everyone else, what a great Christian I am. Rather than looking at the cross, seeing our Lord suffering in pain, dying on the cross, remembering what he has done, resting in it, rejoicing in it, what he has done, then being filled with thankfulness because of the incredible sacrifice that Jesus did for us, and then being moved to action. Can you relate to my struggle? 
Okay, then the uh, text goes on to read that after Jesus calls them, then they came to him. The sequence of events is quite unusual if you stop and really think about what's going on here. I think I see some college kids here, maybe some kids that will be going off to college. So when, when you are applying for your classes in college, you do an online search for these particular classes. You do some research on those professors, and then you sign up for those classes, and you, you sign up to be that professor's student. Could you imagine if, rather than that, you get a Snapchat or a text from your professors, and they say, I have selected you to take my class and be my student. How odd would that be? Similarly, during the time of Jesus, the rabbis would never pick their disciples, but rather the students would, would choose which, which uh, rabbis they wanted to learn and to follow. Rabbis would never pick their disciples, but rather students chose which rabbis they wanted to learn from. Moreover, the rabbi would never leave the impression that their teaching is above the Torah. Rabbinic disciples would ideally see their teacher as a means of mastering the Torah and a model of what they themselves might become. But as described here in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is doing exactly what these rabbis don't do. He's calling his followers, disciples, to leave everything and follow him. And it is as if Jesus himself is the sole and exclusive subjective of the call. Nothing, not even the Torah, is presented as more important than Jesus. Unlike a rabbi, Jesus is not a means to a greater good, but Jesus himself is the final good. So if you think about this, it becomes even more crazy because Jesus had no formal schooling. He didn't have a seminary degree. There was no outline course of study. And amazingly, all Jesus did to teach his men was to draw them close to him. He was the school and the curriculum, the university of Jesus Christ. But how can we become chosen by Christ? How? What can we do? Pastor Tim Keller puts it this way. Identity is received not achieved. So then how can we be saved? How can we be born again? The partial correct answer is repent and believe. But the fully correct answer is nothing. Just like a baby does nothing to be born. It is God who causes us to be born again. Then, by his sovereignty and grace, we repent and believe. This is both scary and comforting. You can do absolutely nothing to force Jesus to save you. Has Jesus called you to be a disciple? Has Jesus handpicked you? Has he saved you? So first, Jesus calls those whom he desires, and next, 
he appoints the 12. Now let's take some time and think about this word appoint. So check this out. The Greek word for appoint can be literally translated as make, manufacture, construct. So Jesus is not merely selecting students from an existing group and raising them up to a new status, but rather he is making them. He's bringing them into existence. So Mark's verb in the original Greek is, is very similar to the verb that's used in the book of Genesis where, where God describes how he made the heavens and the earth. So it seems that the text is implying that the 12 are a new creation. Whoa. That's pretty amazing, no? So if we return back to the text, uh, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So after appointing or making or creating the 12 apostles, Jesus assigns them two roles. First, they're simply to accompany him or to be with him, to be with him. Because the best way to learn is to be with the master, watching him, modeling his behavior. And then second, they're sent out. And they're sent out by him to do what he does, and that is to preach and to cast out demons. So the two roles that Jesus calls his apostles to are to be and then do. To be and then do. That is to be with him and then do. Do, do as what he was doing, to preach the gospel and to cast out demons. So the chronological sequence of God's word here is intentional and I believe is quite important. The simple prepositional phrase where it says to be with him is stated before to be sent out by him. So this has its utmost significance here in the Gospel of Mark. This, this discipleship is a relationship before it is a task. It's a who before a what. But how does this have relevance for me today? How does this have relevance for you, Will? For you, Claire, James? For Sharon? For Sang? For Debbie? For Daniel? In July 9, 2023, how is this relevant? Well, a relationship with Christ must come first before anything else. Brothers and sisters, uh, we too should follow this apostolic model of being with him before doing. Being before doing. Being with Christ, abiding in Christ, deep in regular prayer, saturated in his word, and then being obedient to the mission he calls us to do. Before we can be used by God, and filled with a rugged joy serving him, we must be in a deep, daily relationship with Jesus first. We must be abiding in him, spending time with him, talking with him, 
thinking about him, making Jesus home. This must be the starting point. Now this passage goes on to say that the 12 are given authority by Jesus and sent out by Jesus specifically to preach and then have authority over demons. And the word here to preach is the same word used in Jesus' proclamation of the, in, in the Gospel of Mark early in chapter 1. So it's the same word to proclaim the gospel. So the apostles are to preach the gospel and are given authority to cast out demons. And this now marks a time that Jesus now considers them peers and no longer as mere underlings or fanboys. And he lays a foundation for their coming missionary work. So to put it in a nutshell, the commission that Jesus gives to his apostles can be simplified into being, speaking, and then doing. It is a matter of being with Jesus, speaking his gospel message, and then doing actions in his name by casting out demons and opposing evil. Being, speaking, doing. And I believe this apostolic model in the Gospel of Mark should be an example that applies to all Christians, to all followers of Christ, Christ to all disciples. So let's take some time to clarify and, and define the titles that Mark is using here. So starting with the title, Apostle. Apostle, in its most literal sense, literal sense means a messenger or sent out one with a task or a mission. The Greek verb form of the word uh, used for apostle means to commission or to send out with a specific purpose. Now what about disciple? The word for disciple in, its, in, its, uh, in both its Greek and its Hebrew roots means learner or student. Specifically, one who learns in active fellowship. Hence, like an apprenticeship. So we'll flesh this out a little bit more, a little later. But now let's finish looking at the passage of Mark. So then, uh, the last element in today's uh, text is the list of names of the apostles. The list of the 12 apostles symbolizes the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jesus making the 12 when he creates the 12 to be with him, it signifies a reconstituting of Israel. Another important observation is that none of the apostles comes from an elite Jewish religious background. They were just common folk, blue-collar workers. There was nothing really special about them. Yet they were chosen by Jesus, given a great mission, and great authority and this small group of 10 men go on mission and change the world so let's circle back uh, to the concept of a disciple let's spend the remainder of our time on this so the main uh, purpose or theme in the Gospel of Mark, is this concept of a disciple. 
it, it focuses a lot on the universal call to discipleship. So as Christians, we are all called to be disciples, all of us. So as outlined in Mark, discipleship is essentially a relationship with Jesus, not merely following a certain code of conduct. And from the beginning of his ministry in, in Galilee, Jesus calls people to be in fellowship with him, to speak his gospel message, and then to be sent out on mission for him. So what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? So before we delve into what a disciple means, let's talk about what it perhaps does not mean. It does not mean like a more advanced Christian, a second stage of your Christian walk, with the first stage being a basic Christian who just become con became converted, and then the second stage being a stage of a disciple where you're more mature and have learned more, and the third stage is you're very mature, and then you go out and become a disciple maker. This way of thinking is completely foreign to the New Testament, and it's not really helpful, it's not really biblical. Friends, when you fully trust in Jesus and accept him as Lord and Savior and fully commit your life to him, you are a disciple. So a Christian and a disciple of Christ are one and the same. See what it says here in Acts 11? And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. We are all learners or students of Jesus Christ. A Christian is a disciple, and a disciple is a Christian. But we are not, we are not all apostles. Apostles means messenger, as we just heard. And, and here in the Gospel of Mark, an apostle is one who is sent by Christ with Christ's authority to preach the gospel cast out demons, and in other areas of the New Testament, to heal. And finally, if you look closely at the New Testament, specifically in the book of Acts, chapter 1, there's a pretty clear description of an apostle being an office or a position that is held by somebody who must have seen as an eyewitness the bodily resurrected Jesus Christ. Thus, the use of the title of apostle as described in the New Testament seems to be limited to an office or a position that should be reserved for the apostles during the time of Jesus. Now, though we may not hold the office of being an apostle, I believe it's safe to say that what is modeled here for the 12 apostles is also true for us and applicable to all Christians. Not sure about whether you are a disciple or a learner or a student of our Lord? Well, let's turn to Scripture and see what Jesus himself says in his own words about being a disciple. Let's turn to Luke chapter 9. Let's spend some time here. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me and become my disciple, 
let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So when Jesus says a disciple should deny himself, he's saying that your life should have evidence of, of self-denial. Now, this is so countercultural today. And today, it's just so much is, there's so abundance of self-promotion, self-gratification, and it's put on a pedestal. It's idolized, it's glorified, it's even monetized. This is exemplified in modern technology with the iPhone, social media, YouTube, TikTok. We are in a me, me, me culture. And this is even further amplified in this hypersexualized society where sexual gratification and fulfillment are idolized. We now live in a culture where sex is everything but means nothing. Meaning that having sex is absolutely a must to being a complete, fulfilled, happy human being. But then at the same time, sex is devalued so that you can have it whenever, with whomever, whenever you want. It just doesn't seem to make sense. Now, how often have you met a person who is very self-centered, who is constantly thinking about themselves, and is all about self-pleasure, self-gratification? Maybe perhaps when you're able to, to talk to them in private or maybe get to know them personally, were they at peace? Were they happy? Conversely, have you ever been on a mission trip where from the moment that you wake up to the moment that you lie your head down to sleep, you're not thinking about yourself at all. Rather, you're thinking about someone else the whole time and how to serve someone else. How did you feel? Did you feel an overflowing joy that you just cannot recapture when you came home? You know, in Romans 8, it says, when you fill your mind with things of the spirit, there's life and peace. And when you fill your mind with the things of the flesh, there's the opposite. I think that, that's, that's true. I think God's word is true there. So a characteristic of a disciple of Christ is that their life should be marked by a frequent turning away from the desire to be all about self and turning towards thinking about others and what others may need. Self-denial. Now, a second part of being a disciple of Christ is that one must take up his cross daily. That is, one should be willing to experience a degree of suffering in life. This means the life of a disciple is not, it's not guaranteed to be filled with health, wealth, prosperity, comfort. Rather, it, it will include some form of suffering. Suffering in a, in a difficult marriage, a chronic health disease, a sudden loss of a loved one, 
a difficult work or school situation, complicated, messy situations in ministry, times of financial struggle. Jesus says in in John 13, uh, truly, I say to you, a servant is, is not greater than his master. So if Jesus himself was a homeless, poor man that had to endure great suffering, it's no surprise that we too may have to endure some sort of suffering in our lives. So a disciple of Christ may have to endure some suffering. And finally, Jesus says here, to be his disciple, you must follow him. In other words, one must be willing to surrender to him. A disciple elevates Jesus to a whole nother category above his family, his spouse, his career, his possessions, his belongings. If Jesus is number one in your life, you should be in frequent conversation with him. You you should be spending a lot of time with him. Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to follow me. You have to be in community with me. You have to surrender to me. You have to be in relationship with me. Has Jesus called you to be a disciple? Has he appointed you? Has he made you? Has he created you to fulfill a mission for him? Uh, Pastor John Piper is well known to us, and he's known for a lot of things. And we've been, a lot of us have been benefited by him and his teaching for so much. But there's one thing that he's most well known for, and that's this one sermon on seashells. Perhaps you're familiar and heard this sermon. I think they even made a rap song about this. So it was given in May of 2000, so 23 years ago, Uh, at a passion conference in front of 40,000 college-age students. It's entitled, Boasting Only in the Cross. It comes from Galatians 6.14. So in the sermon, Pastor John talks about two groups of people. He has one group that is a retired physician and nurse. They're both grandmas, widowed, and they're in Africa, and they're serving. They're serving the poor in their old age. And one night, the brakes in their car gives way, and their car plummets over a cliff and crashes, and boom, they're dead. And Pastor John says, is that a tragedy? And then he juxtaposed that group with a a retired couple who retired early at age 51 and 59. And they retired to a warm nice climate they buy a yacht and they spend their days walking on the beach collecting seashells and then he asks is that a tragedy what do you think and then piper followed this up with a book entitled don't waste your life 
which is a really popular book that's given to recent high school grads. And I actually have a copy right here. And the first person or family that comes up after the service, I'd like to gift it to somebody. So many believe that uh, this seashell sermon and, and this book had a wide-reaching ripple effect on many generations, and it affected those college-age kids. It also affected their parents, but then also affected the kids of those college-age kids, multiple generations, where it changed their perspective, their priorities, their life trajectories, and it changed their retirements. The Gospel Coalition article summarizes it well. Whether you're an engineer or a doctor or a teacher or an overseas missionary or a garbage collector, whatever it may be, what I took from Piper is that the real tragedy would be coming to the end of your life and all you have are the things you've accomplished for yourself. And he said, it does not matter what you do if you're doing it for his glory. So if you haven't heard this sermon or read this book, I would highly recommend it to you. It's, uh, it's uh, many good truths that are here. And very powerful. But if you are here today and you don't know Jesus or you've heard a little bit about him but you're still not sure or perhaps you called yourself a Christian and then recently you found out something in the Bible that's taught in the Bible that you profoundly disagree with and you think that teaching is evil and wrong and you're, th you're thinking about throwing everything that you learned about Jesus out and you're thinking about turning your back on Jesus himself. Why should you desire to be a follower of Christ? Why? So my answer would be is to start by looking very closely just at Jesus. Look at Jesus, at his life. Have you ever had somebody you deeply admired, looked up to, and you put on a pedestal, and then you met that person, maybe even had dinner, lunch with him, or got to spend time with him or her, and and you got to know them personally, or maybe you just went online and studied all you can about them, everything about their life, and you got to know who they are as a person and who they really were. And then you started finding out all this stuff that disappointed you, and you started to think slowly, differently about them. Perhaps it was a famous movie star, a top athlete, a world-renowned musician, musician or a well-known pastor even. I would dare to say that 100% of the time when you really get to know a person, perhaps even live with that person, 
that you'll always get disappointed at some point. So if you're really young and you're saying, man, I, I don't know anything what you're talking about. If you get married, you will soon become an expert on this. Now, even more so, if you do an in-depth study of any other guru, spiritual or life expert, like Anthony Robbins, the Dalai Lama, Buddha, Muhammad, Joseph Smith, Oprah, if you do an in-depth study of that person and their life, you may be surprised what you find out, and most likely you will be disappointed. And the more you study, the less you may like or admire that person. But if you do the same thing with Jesus, you may find quite the opposite will happen. The more you study his life, his actions, the more attractive Jesus may become and the more you may admire him and be in awe of him. And when you are deciding who will be your role model, when you're deciding who to copy, when you're deciding who to study and try to be like, or who to follow, there is no one. And there's, there's not even, there's, there's no competition. It's not even close. There's no one who compares to Jesus. And most of all, do you know any one of your heroes that would die for you? I mean, maybe Iron Man in that, that fictional movie, but in real life, no. John 15, in John 15, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That is what Jesus did for every person sitting here today. Everyone. When you want to learn from somebody, why would you not want to learn from somebody who is perfect, never done or said anything wrong, and who loves you immensely and unconditionally? Is not this a good reason, a great reason why we shouldn't desire to follow Christ, to be a disciple of Christ? What about you today? You. And then what about every person that's sitting here today? Has Jesus called you to be his disciple? So on your drive home today, or when you're having lunch or dinner, just really ask yourself, hey, Jesus called me to be a disciple. Then ask your kids, your spouse, your family members, hey, Jesus called you to be a disciple. If he has called you, don't waste your life. Don't waste this precious gift 
that God has made you. If you're not sure, I pray that perhaps God will stir up in, in you a renewed interest in studying Him, getting to know Him, His life, His actions, His words, and what He did for you on the cross. There is no one that compares to our Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for being who you are and, and showing us so many examples of, of what uh, perfection is, uh, what true love is. Uh, we ask and we pray that We, we know a little better uh, what it means to be a disciple. Uh, we pray that uh, you have worked through this sermon, through today, uh, to, to ask questions, for people to ask questions, but most of all, to, to look in to who you are and to have some clarity who you are and what you have done, and then to ask honest questions about ourselves. Most of all, we, we, we thank you and we praise you and we hope that, that we understand uh, what it means to be your disciple and to follow you. Uh, would you convict our hearts and our lives, our retirements, our jobs, our trajectories, our relationships, our marriages, our, our, our schoolwork? Would you affect all of all of these things so that we can make you number one in our lives. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray all this in your name.